Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. About 150 years ago now, a man departed his home in Scotland and sailed south toward an archipelago, which is a gathering of islands, that was in his day known as the New Hebrides and today is known as Vanuatu. It's off the eastern coast a little ways from Australia. At that time, there was very little Christian witness on these islands. This was a land of cannibals. This was before the most of the modern missions movement. And this man, his name was John Patton. He sailed south because he had heard of these cannibals and their need of the gospel. Great risk to his own life. And he has an account that he has written for which he is known. It's an autobiography, really, that tells his time, of his time on the island of Tana. And I think there is his time on another island as well. But it's his time on the island of Tana that he's most remembered for. In that autobiography, I want to draw attention to one comment he makes almost as an aside based on his experience with these cannibals. At one point in the account, he gives this aside to, in his own words, give my testimony on a matter of some importance. And here is that matter. The natives, he wrote, of Tana, of these islands, destitute of the knowledge of the true God, are ceaselessly groping after him, if perchance they may find him. Not finding him, especially when there's no missionary witness there, not finding him, and, importantly here, not being able to live without some sort of God. They have made idols of almost everything. Trees and groves, rocks and stones, springs and streams, insects and other beasts, men and departed spirits, relics such as hair and fingernails, the heavenly bodies and the volcanoes. In fact, every being and everything within the range of vision or of knowledge has been appealed to by them as God, clearly proving that the instincts of humanity, however degraded, prompt man to worship and lean upon some being or power outside himself and greater than himself in whom he lives and moves and has his being and without the knowledge of whom his soul cannot find its true rest or its eternal life. John Patton immediately compares this natural instinct of humanity in the natives to his home country of Scotland, to some of the Roman Catholics there who had priests very much like the natives did who were intermediaries between God because they viewed God as very distant and foreign and strange. And whatever odd ideas the priests conceived, the people went along with. So he compares the natives with, in a more quote-unquote civilized society, some forms of religion. And then he concludes with this comment. This proves that whether savage or civilized, everybody, man must either know the true God or must find an idol to put in his place. 
And this is really the very tale of mankind here in one small corner of the world on this island, but applicable everywhere. And it is that the human heart was not created, post-fall especially, was not created content. It was made with this innate dryness, this innate aridity that was intended to lead it toward something. Not just born and you live your life and you don't care about anything. You care about things because there's this inner dryness innate. You're born with it in mankind, put there on purpose that thirsts. And in fact, Jesus really told the story of all mankind when from the cross, he said the very thing, I thirst. That is how men and women are born in the world. We have been formed from the dust with a dust-dry mouth so that we would seek the fountain of living waters in God himself. It's as the poet George Herbert once put it, we were, have been granted a repining restlessness, given many good gifts, but with a repining restlessness within, so that, quote, if goodness lead man not to God, yet weariness may toss him to his breast. So when a man cannot find God... He does not sit at ease. Or a woman, she does not surrender the pursuit of water for her soul and simply bide her time until death. As Patton said, not finding God and not being able to live without some sort of God, they have made idols of almost everything. For these natives in Tana, the everything that they tried to f- quench that inner thirst with included rocks and groves and stones and trees. For the Scottish Catholics, it was beads and crucifixes, holy water and relics. For others, it's work and school and sports and relationships, popularity, food, romance. These can never, never satisfy the innate thirst of the soul, ever. And really, mankind in this world, post-fall, It's very much like a person desperately wandering through the desert, becoming delirious with thirst and sees a mirage, a false vision of a stream and plunges his or her head into the stream and begins to drink. And to the delirious and confused mind, he's drinking. But in objective reality, he's ingesting sand and it's not quenching his thirst. As we come to the close of our class, I want to summarize my purpose in these lessons as this. Really, this has all been about to show that the sand is sand and the water is water. So all this is, this is not imaginatively inventing something and persuading you of it, but that there is sand and it's actually sand and that there is water and it's actually water and we in a half state of delirium don't always recognize that. And that has been the purpose of this course and I hope God answers that. If you find Christ, you have all that your soul needs to be satisfied, to be quenched. He is the fountain flowing of living water and You thirst, you have an inner thirst, you find the fountain of living water and you drink and you know what you no longer need after you drink. You no longer need sand. doesn't quench your thirst anyways. But once you've drunk, you don't need the sand. Once you have Christ, 
You need no more. Christ and no more. Water and no need for sand. Even sand is good things. You don't need. You have Christ and he satisfies the innate thirst we are made with. If you do not find God, as Patton had said, or if you find him only in part or imperfectly, if your conception of Christ is small, you will think you need sand. You will turn to rocks and groves or to beads and crucifixes or to job and family or to drugs and alcohol or to pornography and immorality, to sand of any sort. We have considered in this class the need to make Christ our life's only aim. We've talked about practically the way that happens through his actions and his words in your life day by day, through his power enabling it. I've tried to set before you in two classes the love of Christ, that your own love for him might be inflamed. And today at our class's end, I want to leave you with one event from the life of Jesus so that if you receive nothing else from the class, you would keep this. And the moral of the story from Christ's life is to show what is water and what is sand. The event is found in Matthew 14. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. We're going to start in verse 22. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men and women and children, so a large number of people, and he did it with five loaves of bread and two fish which he multiplied miraculously. That has just happened, and then we come to verse 22. And in a sense, that scene is repeated, but with his own disciples, and we will get to that. Verse 22 begins. Immediately after feeding these 5,000 and wives and children, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. This is the northern side of the Sea of Galilee there, while he, Jesus, dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, with the disciples in it, by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, three or four or five in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And you may think, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but if it's 3 a.m. and you see a man walking on the sea, for it to be a man is ridiculous. So. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And here the classic scene. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, 
Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind, that terrifying wind, ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The iconic moment in this narrative happens here toward the middle, the one that we're considering, when Peter is walking over the worried waves toward Jesus, with his eye set upon the Savior. And so far as we know, here is the only merely mortal man who ever planted his feet upon the sea and walked on them, on it. While his eyes are on Jesus, which represents faith. It's not just that he's looking, but it represents faith. And you know that because Jesus' rebuke when he looks away from Jesus is, you have little faith. You of little faith, why did you doubt? So while he's looking, faith walking and then doubt and he begins to sink while his eyes are on jesus he progresses over the water when he turns his eyes away to his verse 30 has it see the wind or what the wind is causing there stirring up the waves to doubt he begins to sink so long as peter is preoccupied with jesus so long as his attention is fixed upon the lamb he lives he thrives But when he turns his eyes away from Jesus, his attention is turned away from Jesus, he sinks. When he looks away from the living water that satisfies the object of our faith, the object of our affection, Jesus Christ, for him there in the flesh, when he looks away from the water and sees what? Wind? say, well, wind is important in this case because it's going to cause the water, the waves to come up and kill Peter. So the wind's important because it's a life threat. But the problem is the wind's not as important as Jesus. It's not that the wind's not important. It's just not as important as Jesus. The sand is not as important as the water. For thirst, your faith longs, and there's the water, and that's where it can drink So go to the water, but for Peter, he's going, and then, oh, sand. And he thinks, that's what needs my attention right now, not Jesus. I need to think about that, because that's important. Peter finds that this kind of sand that he's interested in is of the sinking variety. He begins to go beneath the water. This is the one memory I hope that you will take from this class if you take no other. And it is that I set before you Water, Christ, the living water, the very water for which your soul was designed to thirst. And if you will fix your conscious attention on Jesus' joy of man's desiring, you will be satisfied. And if you don't and you look away to anything, no matter how important, you will not be satisfied. You will be drinking sand. If you are distracted, if you see instead of Jesus the wind, whether it be through fear or some inordinate desire, if you prefer the sand to the water, the wind to Jesus, you will spend your time coughing out dry puffs of dissatisfaction. To elaborate this one point, it is the only point I have today. 
to elaborate it and to add some order to it. I want to look at it from the negative and from the positive, to break it in two and consider each in turn, the sand and then Jesus, the water. So first, just take a minute and think about the sand, or as it's represented in Matthew 14, the wind. It's, we will call it by what it causes, whether it be sand instead of water or wind instead of Jesus. In either case, it's distraction. It's not Jesus, and it's what our eyes go to instead of Jesus. For Peter, the distraction that takes his eyes off of Jesus is fear. For others... It's positive desire. It's like Jesus said with the ground that had thorns. The word comes to it and it is choked by the thorns which are, in Jesus' words, the desires for other things. There's Jesus, our word, and our vision toward him is being choked by the desire for other things. So for Peter, fear. For others, desire for other things. It doesn't matter. It's whatever distracts your attention away from Christ. Those are the distractions here. Whether born of fear or pleasure, these distractions only earn our attention when we believe them to be more important than Christ. Let me draw an example from this very story. As I said Before, just before this event occurred, when Jesus takes his disciples down to the boat and forces them to leave, if you were to ask, why does he make them leave? And we don't find in Matthew's account, but in John's account of the same circumstance, it says, perceiving then, after feeding these 5,000, that they, the crowd, were about to come and take him, Jesus, by force to make him king, Jesus Matthew tells us, sends his disciples away and then withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Here are the thousands sitting across this desolate field and they have seen a miracle, a man multiply bread and fish and what comes to their minds as they sit there on the grass? If this mortal can make one loaf of bread into two loaves of bread... Why are we all working? (laughs) Make him king, give him all the bread, keep multiplying it. In fact, here are our weapons, multiply our armaments. Go to our treasury, multiply the gold. Be our king, give us peace on earth and wealth and oust the Roman barbarians who have conquered us and we will be the greatest kingdom the earth has ever known, greater than David's kingdom, greater than Solomon's. Because this man made one bread, two breads. So make him king. That was the focus of the crowds. And we find that, especially in the account of John, that here the living bread, Jesus, has come to give himself as living bread for salvation. And in compassion does this, which to him is relatively unimportant, feeds the crowds by this miracle of multiplying bread. Living bread multiplying dead bread. And the crowds see the dead bread. There's Jesus. We want the dead bread. That's what we want. And you can do it or someone else. We don't care. But we want that bread multiplied. There's Peter shortly afterwards. So Jesus sends his disciples away onto the sea and goes up to pray because Jesus has the right perspective if no one else does. And he's focused on God. And his disciples are out on the sea and he comes early in the morning as they're fighting against the waves. Peter comes out of the boat 
And just like the crowds, whoa, this guy's amazing. And then, but look at that wind. Whoa, he can make bread, but look at that bread. Distraction away from the main event, Jesus. The focus and a distraction comes and it's the same thing happening with Peter as with the crowds. The desire for other things, even safety, even his own life, but it's not as important as Jesus. When there is water, it doesn't matter what the sand is. It's not as satisfying as Jesus. The crowds think that Jesus can satisfy them not with himself, but with what he does. So, his bread gets more attention, and for Peter, the wind gets more attention. They were, as many do, looking toward Jesus without looking at Jesus. Looking toward what Jesus was doing, seeing the great things God does within the church, and loving the sense of community, and loving the sense of outreach, and not looking at Jesus or whatever the example may be. And of course, none of them would have phrased it that way. And you ask the crowd, wow, you just like the bread, you don't like Jesus. No, 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 we like Jesus, we want him to be king. But it's the same way. None of us ever phrased it that way. A hobby comes into our life, and it's an innocent hobby, and it begins to attract more and more of our attention, and it begins to feel more and more satisfying. And so we think more about it. It's interesting to us. And when we're pressed by ourselves usually, thinking, is this right? We think, well, you know, when I get home from work, I'm tired. And maybe this isn't the best use of my time. But, but I'm tired and this is better than doing something worse. So it begins to take more control. It's a way to turn off and recharge. Or we think, no, 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 it's not about this hobby. It's I'm enjoying Jesus through this hobby. And you see that in both cases, that can be true. That can be true. I'm not saying that's always false. But that can be false. And that's the problem. And if the purpose of this lesson is to help you see the sand as sand and the water as water then my goal is to shoot your excuses down. And if it's just an excuse, whether it be whatever, but it's not Jesus, a hobby. It's interesting. It's taking more and more time. It's taking more and more focus. It's becoming almost life-dominating. It's where you go for rest and repose and satisfaction of your soul. And you are drinking a large glass of sand. And you think it's water, but it's not. And you'll see, if you haven't already, that it won't satisfy you and you'll be disillusioned, maybe move on to another hobby or something. But that's sand and you need to see that as sand. It's not wrong in itself, it's just sand. It's not going to satisfy you and if you're trying to make it satisfy your thirst, then it won't do it because only Jesus does that. Or maybe it's more like Peter, not a desire as much as a fear and you are thinking even this morning about your bank account and how your savings are not what you would like them to be. Car problems, whatever. College coming up for kids, whatever it is. And more and more of your attention is going to your bank account. And, and that's what you're scheming about and thinking about a lot, even on a Sunday morning. And you're just thinking about that because you're afraid of what might happen. 
say, well, I'm here, aren't I? You're here. You're looking toward Jesus. You are. But look at him. Look at Jesus more than the bank account. Well, I must provide for my own. I'm worse than an infidel. I need to know the condition of my flocks. Yes, yes, but it's sand. You have to see that it's sand. You have to do those things, yes, but it's sand. Don't drink it. Don't try to satisfy yourself. If only I have enough in savings, I'm satisfied. You won't be. You will never be. If you have enough in savings, it's no longer enough and you need more. Or you lose it. Or moth and rust come and destroy it. If that's what treasure on earth, if that's your focus, if that's where your heart is, then you drink sand. It does not satisfy. It never satisfies. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus promises, don't focus on the sand and you'll get the sand. Don't think about the dead bread and you'll get the dead bread. Okay? Don't, think, don't focus on it. I mean, do what you need to do. Be faithful before God and you'll get it. Why? So that you can focus on me. Because I'm water and I satisfy. And I'm freeing you up so that you can set your attention on me. There is a way, there is a way for you to enroll your children in sports while you maintain your gaze on Jesus. And you'll know that you've done so because your fervor for the Lord remains, your love for His Word is not lessened, your commitment to the local church and to His people continues as it had before. So there's a way to do that. But there is a way, too, of enrolling them that's just a distraction. If you're in a life circumstance that you can choose... And it's just the circumstance you're in. Either pouring your life into the things that matter for Christ or sports, which is good and not bad and teaches teamwork, not bad. But if you're just in a place where you can't have both of those right now, if you've chosen sports, it's sand and you're drinking sand. You're looking toward Jesus and you're looking at the wind. You're looking at at the sand, at the dead bread, at whatever you want to call it. It's a distraction. No justifying. It's a distraction. Look at Christ. That's what this story is teaching. We could say the same of almost any activity. I've picked a few common ones, but you can say it of anything. We're like the Vanuatan natives. Any rock's good enough, any grove, any tree, any piece of hair or fingernail. It's good enough. It's a distraction and we need something for that inner thirst, so we go to it, whatever it may be. My prayer is that if there's sand in your mouth, I'm not trying to heap guilt upon you, guilt upon guilt in your conscience. That's not my primary aim here. It's not the aim. My goal is that there would be this bittersweet consciousness, this bittersweet realization that I've been drinking sand. <laughs> and maybe that's embarrassing, and it looks, I look somewhat silly doing that. But you know what? You've realized it, and so ugh, get that out and drink water. That's why the sand needs to go away, so that your focus can be there on Christ. There's a false repentance or just a false despair that comes from seeing, oh, I've failed in this, and you lose heart. And I don't want any of that. That's useless. But a real repentance that comes from seeing my priorities have not been right. They've just not been right. And by God's power and His grace, I will change that. I'm going to change that. 
That's real repentance that comes with a lifting of the spirit. Because you see, as we move now to our second positive point, sand is sand, and let's realize that. But water is water. That's why getting rid of the sand, repentance, leads to joy. Getting rid of an idol leads to joy because when you do that, you replace it with Christ. If Peter wasn't looking at the wind, where would he be looking? At Jesus. And if the crowds weren't so interested in the dead bread, what would they be interested in? In the living bread. And if our attention turns away from bank accounts and sports and so forth, then where do we put them? We put them on Christ as he reveals himself, as he lives with us day by day. And as I have said in Matthew 6, how much God desires this of you, his heart, that this would be your heart, is evident in the fact that he says in that great command of verse 33, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, the water, and everything else will be added to you. God didn't have to promise that. The reason he promised to take care of everything you need is so that you don't have to focus on it, so that it can be to you a secondary thing. And don't hear me saying, there's a danger here, don't hear me saying, don't seek those things. Don't seek to work, don't seek food, don't seek sports, don't seek any of those things. I'm not saying that. But notice in Matthew 6.33, seek first, seek first, like as a matter of First importance as a primary thing, his kingdom and his righteousness, putting to death your own sin, fellowshipping with God's people, small group, Sunday morning, meeting one-on-one, whatever it takes, investing in your children, family devotions, reading the word on a consistent basis, praying, making time for those things, sharing the gospel, seek First, his kingdom and his righteousness. Do that first. That means that's a priority to you because those are the things of Christ. You love Christ. That's looking at Christ. And then, second, everything else. The sand. Everything else. In that same, well, in that same chapter just earlier when Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he says that. Give us this day our daily bread. Whoa, you're seeking sand. Yes, but that's not how the prayer starts. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, which I'm seeking. Come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, first, primary. And then give us this day our daily bread, second. The hobby is not wrong if it's really second, because if it's second, it's no longer a distraction. The sports aren't wrong in themselves, the relationship, even the wind for Peter. The wind only became wrong when Peter stopped looking at Jesus to look at it, when he thought it was more important to give his attention to the wind than to Jesus. God's heart is that you seek him first, fix your eyes on Jesus first, and live that way. So as we come near to this class's end, this whole class, That's the one appeal that I am making and have been making is that you seek Christ first because he's water, because he satisfies. And then, with what you got left over, second, the sand. Take care of the sand. 
Seek Christ first. And if you seek Christ first, even if it's hard to conceptualize this, you will be so satisfied that you don't need the sand. You don't need it. You know what? If they cancel sporting activities in all of Evansville, you'll be fine. I promise. You will be fine. If NFL is no longer playing on your TV or mobile device, you're, it's okay. It's, re- it's okay. Because you have Christ. You don't need more. If you come into conflict with those relationships that are dearest to you, it's going to hurt and you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right because you have Christ. If you're trying to drink those relationships, you're going to have a big problem because the only false satisfaction you thought you were getting is now gone. And what do you have? But if you fix your eyes on Christ, if the stock market collapses, if your bank account empties, if your life savings are gone tomorrow, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Christ, no more. Not toward Christ, but Christ. Forget the wind. Look at Christ. I say all this because you have just one go at this life. You know that? If you mess it up, you don't get a second time around. If you say, ah, yeah, I see now. I've been too focused on secondary things. I hardly think of Christ during the week. But I mean, I'm in too deep to get out of it now. Second time around, I'll do better. There's no second time around. This is the only time around. This is your life right now, and this is all you've got. And Christ is there. He's set before you. He's the living water. He satisfies. He's what your soul was created for. And there he is. He offers himself to you. If you are lost, you don't know him yet, there he is. Take him. Get him. Go. Drink. And if you're a believer, you see it. And yet, like Peter, looking away, fear, desire, ooh, forget it. There's Christ. You've got to look at him. "Ah, I'm too committed to this. Let that burn. Who cares? You've got one go at this. And there's Christ, and he's calling you to himself. If you've got to cut your hand off, well, that's extreme. I didn't say it. If you've got to cut your hand off, cut your hand off. Don't lose the kingdom. Don't lose Christ. Fix your gaze there on him. I'm too busy with school right now, but next semester I'm going to be a lot more freed up. Next semester you might be freed from your body. You might not even have next semester. It's right now that Christ is calling you to look at him. And I'm somewhat begging you and not ashamed to do it as your pastor and your friend and one who more than most has a general, a real concern for your general well-being and your spiritual flourishing. I am begging, just let the sand be sand. Just let it be sand. It's okay. Don't hold so tightly. It's sand and recognize it and let the water be water. Let Christ be the one who satisfies and not all these secondary things in life. Let distractions be recognized as distractions and let it be now before time has fled and you can't recognize it anymore. Let it be now that you recognize it's a distraction. Forget the way that your world, and I know I'm one voice, but God empowering it can do much. The world has a million voices, and if you go and you leave here and you work 60, 70, 80 hours for the rest of your life, whether you're a man or a woman, if you do that and it takes you away from your family and the church and from God, His Word, from Christ, if you do that, nobody in the world will blame you. Nobody. Nobody will make fun of you for that. They'll think, wow, that's a wonderful thing. What a hard worker. That's amazing. 
if you throw your life away like that on sand, the world claps for you. And if you want the world's claps, that's the way to go get it. But then you throw your whole life away for a few claps. If a man made the choice, don't think I'm saying this is something, oh, you have to do this, this is a new rule. It's not a rule, okay? But let's just say a man made a choice to work less hours, to sell a car maybe, so that he could work less hours because when he gets home and he tries to read the Bible, he falls asleep every time because he's just working a lot. He said, well, I, I can't work less. This is our standard of living. If I work less, if you work less, your standard of living has to change. If a man does that, the world is going to say, you're lazy. Or, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? You don't care about your family. It's all the things the world says. And Christ says, well done, good and faithful servant. So you lost some sand. It's sand. Who cares? And you focus on Christ. If a woman decides she devotes herself to good works in the local church, she's pouring herself out for people. The world, you're wasting your time. Why don't you have a career? Why don't you invest more in your career? Why don't you do this or that or some hobby or whatever? Why don't you do that? Why are you so, you're too much focused on this Jesus and this local church and you're too obsessed in this kind of cultish thing that's got you? That's what the world says. And Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You chose the better part and it won't be taken away from you. You got rid of the less important part. It's sand. Let it go. It's gone. And you got Jesus. You focused on him. The world would not like you to do that. It would not like you to do that. But if you do that, you will be more satisfied. Promise. You will be more satisfied if you're looking at Christ and no more. Do not think so much about the sand that it's worth trading any of the water for. Seek first the water. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The wind, it's howling. Let it howl. You'll be fine. Eyes on Jesus. Sometime after John Patton had arrived on this island of Tana, it was time to establish, I think, the first church that this island of cannibals had ever had. And as he and some natives are digging up a foundation, they strike against stone. They reach stone. They pull it out, the strange stone object. And as he pulls it out, the natives who are with him are terrified at what he has found in the earth. Missy, they said. That's what they call him. Missy. That stone was either brought here by Karapanamun, the evil spirit, or hid there by our great chief who is dead. That is the stone god to which our forefathers offered human sacrifices. As they're digging for this church. One of the sacred men come, wants the stone god so badly. All these other natives terrified of the stone. What have we done? Here is the stone god. You have the Peters looking at the wind. And you have these other natives with other desires an idol, and then you have John Patton with a church, a house of God, who doesn't care a thing about their stone God. It's a rock. It's a rock. It's sand. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. And he writes in conclusion to that, idolatry had not indeed yet fallen throughout Tana, 
but one cruel idol at least had to give way for the erection of God's house on that benighted land. And my prayer to God is that that would be the outcome of this class. We're not, we're not perfectly there yet. None of us are. This is the direction that we're moving. But if one cruel idol at least can fall before the sway of Christ, that he might be founded in our hearts, that is the desire. As you walk the troubled waves that lead to Christ, as he extends his kind hand, ready to pull you up when you fail, because you do, my hope is your eyes would not turn this way or that. You let those winds howl, just let them howl and ignore them. The sirens calling to you, let death threaten, let every kingdom of the world and its glory beckon you from the shore, and you ignore it, forget all of that. You say, I don't need sand, I've got water, I've got Christ, don't need any of that. May you with eyes transfixed on Christ reply to every beckoning distraction that is now in your life or will be, I have found water. I've taken it in and it is enough and I'm satisfied with Christ and no more. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray for this class, but not even for the class. I'm praying for your word to take root in our hearts in a real way, in a practical way that, that changes things and that leads us to a deeper devotion to Christ, to whatever he calls us to, to the surrender of possession happily, to give everything up to go, to be a missionary if you call us to it in some remote and dangerous and difficult place and to expose our families to those dangers because we believe that that's sand. And you, Christ, are water, and your will is the safest place. It's the only place we are satisfied. And I pray that for us, for our witness as a local church in our community, that you would not, not allow me and not allow us to be sand seekers, to be the crowds craving the bread that Jesus gives and not craving Christ himself. Only you can work that in us, and that's my appeal that you would do that, that we would choose the better part and would be seated at your feet, hearing your word and ready to do your will. We offer these things to you, quite eager to see what you, by your great power, will accomplish. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We have time for maybe one question, but next week we've got a lot of time for questions, so... Do we have any question real quick? Yeah. Unless they have a question. Does anybody have a, any question? No, go ahead, Mary. Okay, what you're actually saying, Christ, is when we focus on Christ, mm. everything comes into perspective. Yep. I mean, there's such a support and encouragement, mm. especially with pain and conflict. When we focus on Christ, he brings purpose to everything. That's great. That's a great way to, to put it. Marianne mentioned that what we're saying here is when you focus on Christ, everything else comes into perspective. Helps you to see it all as secondary. So when pain comes in, things are taken away, focus on Christ. That helps. Mm-hmm.